0: It is a real privilege to be here, and Dom, the feeling is mutual. Uh, we've only known each other for a few weeks now, maybe maybe a month or so, and uh, I, I've enjoyed our friendship, but then also just to hear the story, just a little bit about Missio community, uh, community and how you've come together over these last several years. It just really resonated with the things that I'm passionate about in the kingdom of God. So uh, because the kingdom of God is a big family, uh, I've never been here before, but I feel like I'm with my family. Um, so I just appreciate the warm welcome so much and look forward to sharing uh, what God has put on on my heart uh, with you as my, my family in, in Jesus Christ. Uh, as Don mentioned, my family, Katie, and, my, and our three kids are back in uh, the state of Wisconsin where we finally saw the grass again after it being covered in snow for the last whatever. All I got to say is you don't have to shovel rain, so don't complain too much. Yeah, we serve uh, across uh, the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, in the country of Germany, and are up to a few things. I'll get to that in just a minute. But every three to five years, we have an opportunity to come back to the United States for about a year's time, a school year typically, and be able to say thank you to people who are giving to the kingdom. Uh, You have connections all around the world. You're serving your community here and you're pouring yourselves out. And I just want to thank you for that. As a fellow worker, as a co-laborer in Jesus, thank you for your, for your effort in that. We had uh, 10 years before being most recently in Germany, 10 years in the Middle East. And uh, that was a really uh, awesome time for us to be there. Uh, but one thing we learned after we made the transition from, from the Middle East to Berlin is, surprisingly, it's a whole lot harder to serve God in Berlin than it was in the Middle East. In the Middle East where we were, you could walk into the market and you could, you could meet people all day long and share the, share the gospel uh, over and over again. People were very interested. They would always hit on those differences between their belief and what the gospel shares and what the gospel teaches and the person of Jesus. And so it just kind of stands out. Well, in Berlin, nobody cares that you're there. <laughs> In fact, we found that out real quick, we were studying uh, German and we couldn't hardly find Germans who were willing to speak German with us because everyone was in such a hurry. It's a city that is wildly secular, one of the most atheistic pockets of population anywhere on the globe. In fact, less than 2% of northeast Germany, where Berlin is located, less than 2% follow Jesus Christ. But that's why we're there. That's the whole purpose Missions is all about going to the places where people don't know Jesus and pouring our lives out in that location. We've had the privilege of, of leading a team that has quite a bit of international ministry among Arabs, um, some colleagues of ours in Spanish ministry. There's two ch- uh, Chinese churches in Germany, one of them in Berlin. So it's very multicultural, but it's the majority Germans that are just the toughest nut to crack. So we've been involved in trying to reach one of the most underreached pockets of an underreach city. And that is up in the northeast corner of of Berlin. And it's as easy as one, two, three, if anything can be boiled down to just easy. (laughs) One, two, three. The first thing is finding a creative way to love people. A way that they understand and know that they're cared for and they're loved. Like cleaning up yards. We do projects like that all the time. So you're doing here what we do overseas. um, And it may just look a little different because there's more German being spoken where we are. Uh, but uh, it's a very, very similar kind of activity, activities to connect with people. Trivia nights, um, English classes, things like that. Well, as you know, God is always working behind the scenes, and that's step number two. As you meet people through serving them and loving on them, you find out that God actually puts people across your path who are open, who, who he's drawing to himself. And we pray for those opportunities all the time, and when we meet someone... We want to invite them, not just to step into the, the, a Sunday morning experience or something. That's great. That can be part of it. But we really want people to encounter Jesus. And we invite people then into Bible study and to, to get into to, to contact and to begin seeking Jesus on their own. And then, of course, the, the faith family, the church, is part of that. And that's step three, helping people who are making decisions for Jesus or are on the way, helping them start new churches, because really there just aren't very many. The neighborhood in which we live is 40,000 people in this this particular district, and there's exactly one Bible church, Bible teaching, Bible believing, Jesus following church for 40,000 residents. So our work is definitely cut out for us. Katie and I serve on this team, and so we're actually moving on to a a slightly different work within the same country. Um, But uh, please be praying for, for places like Berlin, because there is so much progress to be done, and... Uh, Germans are just, at this point in history, uh, pretty resistant to the gospel. If you want to join in prayer for that, I will shamelessly ask for that, your prayer. Please, please grab a, a, got these little prayer cards on the little table as you you walk out at the end. Uh, It's got a picture of our family on it. There's a way to give if you're interested in giving to to us or to the work of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Um, Those things are there. There's also an old-fashioned clipboard and pen. Put your name, your email, and I will not sell that to anyone, I promise, but you will get a monthly uh, prayer update from our family with some specific points and ways to engage. So that's all I'm going to say about those things. Well, as you know, uh, Missio Community is part of a family of of churches, uh, a denomination of churches, 2,000 strong across the United States, called the Christian and Missionary Alliance, just one among many, many movements that God is using in this day and age to propel the gospel forward into the world, and and, and sort of our rally cry is all of Jesus for all the world. All of Jesus for all the world is a tall order. And this year, across those 2,000 churches, one of the themes that's being presented is this theme of being present. See, I mean, that makes sense, right? If we are going to bring all of Jesus to all the world, that's what we've been entrusted with from our Savior, from our King then what that means is somebody has to go. Somebody has to show up. Somebody must be present in places where Jesus is not yet named. You see, that's so important because 42% of our world population, 3.4 billion people approximately, is a member of what's called an unreached people group. If you look at this map here, every red dot represents an ethno-linguistic group that has less than 2% of its population that follows Jesus. Unreached people groups that need desperate support from the outside. Maybe in some of those dots, there's even zero people who follow Jesus. We celebrate the green on the map where it represents more progress of the gospel, but those red dots is something that really bothers my heart because I believe it bothers God's heart very, very much. We have that great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Those nations are represented by these dots and the task is still out there. 42% of our world's population is stuck in that position. They will be born, they will live their lives, and they will die. Most likely never even having met a Christian or getting a chance to hear about the gospel. And while technology, videos, the, the translations, the, the version Bible app are tremendous tools, they're only useful if people know about them. So somebody needs to go and cross the cultural boundaries, learn the new language, and pioneer the gospel along, uh, in those places. And, and everybody actually has a, has a role in that. Because we are the family of God, every green dot on the map that was once red, I mean, if you think back 2,000 years ago, it would have been a lot more red, every step of progress is not just the story of the person who was on the ground, it's the story of the church, the bride of Jesus Christ. Everything that happens is ours together. We give, we pray, we tirelessly pour ourselves into reaching our own communities and investing abroad because it's what Jesus is up to. But those who cross cultural boundaries and go, the, you know, the missionaries of the world, if they go and they show up, that presence alone isn't worth very much. There has to be something more. There has to be a different kind of presence in place for a difference to be made, and To that end, I would like you, if you have a Bible, you can go to John chapter 17. And the words will be up on the screen as well. So if you don't have a Bible, that's just fine. John chapter 17, and we're just going to key in on three verses, 22 to 24. We're jumping right into the middle of a prayer that Jesus prays. One of the last intimate recordings of, of what he had to say, what was on his heart, as he's imminently going to the cross to be crucified and bear the weight of the sin of the world. So, what he prays in this moment, I feel like, is very insightful for us. And so, we read what he prays. He says, The, the glory which you, and the you, and all this is the Father, the glory which you have given me, I've given to them, the disciples, so that they may be one, just as we are one. I and them, and you and me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and you love them just as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you've given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Hmm. When I think about this idea of presence, and this, this occurred to me I don't know, last fall I was really praying about what to share when I had the opportunity to to speak before a family like this. God really impressed this on my heart, that being present comes straight out of verse 24, first and foremost, where Jesus says, Father, I desire that they whom you've given me would be with me where I am. To be with Jesus where he is, to be present with him because he is present. Now that's great, but Jesus says it's his desire, and in Greek, that's actually the word for will. It's the will of Jesus, the will of God, that you be with him where he is. It's the purpose of your life. It's one of the key things. It's just short of being forced. It's a high desire. It's on the top ten list of things. That is the will of God, to be present with Jesus where he is. So we've got to think about some things. If it's that important, and this is just before the cross, and it's on the heart of our Lord, we've got to figure out what does it mean that Jesus is present? And how can we be with him where he is? And in, in what sense is he with us? Where is he? And what does all that have to do with sort of a missions global emphasis here uh, this, this morning? Well, that whole passage starts out in verse 22, and there's this word that keeps jumping out. It's the word, Glory. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them that they may be one just as we are one, I and them and you and me, so they may see my glory that you've given me. It's like glory's flying all over the place from the Father to the Son, from the Son to the followers of Jesus. And, and we know that, when we sang about it in one of the songs, that actually glory, then we reflect back to God. We give Him glory. And so there's this cycle that's taking place. But I don't know about you. I don't really use the word glory outside of my church context very much. I pretty much see it in Scripture. And, and for most of my life, I just sort of jumped over it. and I didn't really take time to figure out what is what is glory exactly. So I looked it up. And it's been deeply meaningful for me to meditate on this. But glory is the unique greatness of the presence of someone who's done one of two things. Performed something extraordinary or someone who just holds a very high status. So it's not being in their presence, it's simply their presence. The presence of someone who's done something amazing or who holds a high status. Now the effect of being then in the presence of glory is that we become very small. We recognize something great is there. If you've ever been you know, camping or on the coast or something and you've seen an amazing sunrise or sunset I think of the Grand Canyon when I was a kid, I took a family vacation there. And yes, the canyon itself was amazing, but when the sun is at that particular angle and everything glows and comes to life, it's breathtaking. And you realize how small you are and how great that, that thing before you is. That's glory. That's recognizing glory. But you see, we only recognize that glory and we only give that admiration if we understand that glory is happening. And this was driven home to me a couple years ago. I was sitting in a, in a juice bar, this being uh, Portland. I'm guessing there's juice bars here? Probably. You know what that is. You go in and you pick out your fruits and they press it for you and you get a custom made juice or something like that. And you pay way too much for it. When I, when I share in small town Wisconsin where, where we're from, nobody has a clue what a juice bar is. So, anyway, we're in a juice bar. I'm having a meeting with some of my colleagues and so halfway through the meeting, a family sat down right next to me. It was a bench, kind of bench seating with tables in front of it. And the dad of that family was right on my hip, just right there. So uh, my colleagues, though, got a little starstruck when this guy sat down. I didn't even hardly look at him. After we were done, they I was like, who, who was that guy? It turns out it was this fellow. You want to go to that picture? This guy right here. Anybody recognize him? You might know him from the Avengers movies. He was, I can't remember his, what was this character's name? Zemo? I almost said Zemo, but I think that was an alcoholic drink (laughs) and an advertisement from when the 90s. Anyway, so yeah, so here's this famous actor, an Avengers guy. He's sitting right there on my hip and I have no clue. And it's not that it was glory per se, but the significance of the moment, the uniqueness of that was completely lost on me because I didn't recognize it. And you know what, that same thing happens to me and probably to you as well, each and every day when it comes to the Lord Jesus in our life. We might set aside some time to reflect on the presence of Jesus with us, but when we go through our day, our mind is jumping to other things and we lose our perspective and we become ignorant of the fact that the God of glory, as we just read, has chosen to, chosen to, to be in us, I in them and you and me in our lives right there and we go through our day as though he's not and it's so sad because god has actually fulfilled both requirements of glory (laughs) he's done extraordinary things rising from the dead that never happens that's impossible but for a miracle but for power on display and of course a whole host of other things as well so that's one thing, and then he's also, by his status, who he is, the greatness of God, who fills and blows the doors off the universe in all of its expanse, who simply is eternal. He has high status and he does amazing things, and I just wonder sometimes, how can I go through my day without noticing that and being awestruck every moment? A lot of our German friends don't care about this at all. In fact, they hear this story of Jesus, and without even consideration, they reduce it to just simple mythology. And so therefore, they write it off. They don't behold the glory of God. And by the way, that's the biblical definition of hell. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we find out the eternal penalty is to be shut out from the presence of God and the glory of his power. We don't need to do that we don't have to be in that situation don't be like me at the juice bar that's bad news you don't want to be in that spot we have an opportunity to do something different the god of glory invites us into his presence invites us to let him in and put his glory in our hearts we have an opportunity to meditate on that reality to turn to the Bible where we see humans like us wrestling with that, but yet God coming into their midst and transforming them. We have an opportunity to respond to that then in prayer and pour out our hearts, not with a laundry list of things that we want God to achieve for us, but for us simply to sit in his presence and let him speak to us what he wants to have done And that gives boost then to our prayer life. And as we cry out to God and we beg him to show up, he answers. And our hearts get aligned with what he wants. And we want him more than our sin and our ambitions and our addictions and the secret stuff we don't want anyone to know about. I love thinking about the glory of God, but my great fear in all of this is that somehow we only have, you know, just a few minutes together and we're going to minimize it. I just challenge you, don't minimize the glory of God. It's tremendous. It will transform your life. And it's not just an individual thing. There's something deeper. See, glory is also a group thing. Uh, The last wedding I was at wasn't this one. But the last wedding I was at, I remember, a typical kind of wedding uh, in a facility much like this. You get there and everybody's kind of murmuring. The crowd is that 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 quiet talking. And, and then things begin to pick up the pace a little bit. The, the, the groom might finally step out. No one cares because it's not about the groom on the wedding day. Right? Then the music kicks in and the bridesmaids and the groomsmen come in and they take their spots. But then what happens? The bride stands in the back. Somebody gets up and in unison, everybody whoop, on their feet. The, the mood changes, the music changes. And all eyes on that very uncomfortable bride as she makes her way towards the front, right? But there's, there's a unity in, in the response because no one wears a white dress with a veil. There's only one reason you do that, and it's to get married. And so the, the, the importance of that union and that particular event, as the bride comes down the aisle, it's unifying. And the exact same thing is meant to happen with the glory of God. When people, multiple people, are beholding the glory of God in their daily routines and they come together and their attention is on Jesus, our pet preferences fall away. Our eyes are on what's taking place. Our eyes are on something that's greater than us, than any individual. The presence of Jesus in our midst. Glory demands attention and unifies us. So, Christ prays, Father, may they be one just as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected even in unity. Perfected means being made complete. It does not mean arriving at some destination where everything's fine and you just pretend it's it's okay. Think of the hard work that needs to go into unity: disagreements, asking forgiveness, being forgiven reconciliation. That's hard stuff. But the presence of God, the glory of Jesus, is so much more important than our differences that we can actually, we have power to then enter into those tough conversations and those tough relationships and do the hard work to come together. Unity is not singular action, that everybody must be the exact same way. I mean, you know that. How many different kinds of worship is happening across Portland here this morning? within the body of of Christ? How many different languages are being spoken by Christ followers around the world on a typical gathering day like a Sunday? It's not singularity of action, it's singularity of purpose. And in fact, across the world, when we have hard times, and by the way, missionaries are not perfect. We're figuring stuff out all the time. And we fight and we don't get along and we have to do the same hard work within our teams and our church planting efforts because we have different ideas on how to do things. But when we struggle and when we rejoice and when you struggle and when you rejoice, we are unified together across oceans because the cross of Christ, the glory of Christ, brings all of that together. You're unified with us there in our hardships and our joy. And you know what? That gives an incredible depth, foundation, to any kind of partnership that spans oceans within the family of God. Now, That's fantastic, right? Fantastic news. We have the glory of God within us as individuals, it affects us as a group, but there's even something deeper here. There's some knowledge that happens. This is all for a specific purpose, and Jesus in verse 23 says, this is all so that the world knows something. So that the world knows something. It's not just for us to enjoy internally. It's something else for the world, for people who are not yet part of the family of God. Now, the world is right here. Uh, as Dom was saying before, you know, God is always at work behind the scenes uh, in the lives of people like, like the, the family that you serve by cleaning up the yard. God's at work there. She may not know that yet. The family may not know that, but God's at work. And God's at work in your coworkers' lives and in your friends' lives, your family, all sorts of people who do and don't yet know Jesus. just Most people don't recognize that fact yet. The same thing is true globally as well. The world is much broader than where we are. And if it's God's will that that we be with him where he is, and he is literally everywhere, then there's a sense in which we also must be with him in those crazy places that show up on the news even. It's just that most people in those locations just like here, aren't aware that God's glory, His presence, is already active. So in Afghanistan, did you know that even after the Taliban takeover, the baby churches that had been planted in the last 20 to 30 years, the communities of faith that began to grow, though heavily persecuted and stuck underground, are growing and are still active with brothers and sisters in Christ heavily persecuted and under duress and threat but it is still there, the church is there. So don't just listen to what the news says, remember the kingdom of God is active also. In the northern regions of a particular Middle Eastern country, there are thousands and thousands of new believers and over a hundred who are connected to our Alliance workers who are in that particular location. Did you know in Syria, Muslims are turning to Christ like never before with no missionaries present whatsoever, And we have 19 Alliance sister churches who are there, and they've suffered, but they're a part of this, and they're seeing all sorts of new people join in. Did you know the Lord is using the tragedy of the war in the Ukraine to lead dozens of displaced Ukrainians to northern Germany of all places, to a small town where our Alliance church planting team uh, worked with the city to welcome in all sorts of busloads of refugees. And many of them are hearing about Christ and trusting Christ through our team there. There's an international church that's been planted. It's half German and half Ukrainian, if you can imagine. When Alliance missionaries and, uh, in fact, all, uh, all denominations had to leave Vietnam in the mid-70s, there was about 60,000 known believers in that country. And today, with the presence of no foreign missionary, not, at least not to the extent that it was before, there is over one million believers just in Alliance churches in Vietnam. Over 1 million. 60,000 to 1 million. If we only had time to unpack these stories and to see what God is doing at that full picture, we would realize it's only possible because Jesus was already there long before anyone showed up. But he invited his church and his people to join him where he is. It didn't just invite, it's his will. And people went and, and they were able to watch God do the growth. And those who sent them know that it's worth praying and giving and and going and even releasing their children to go and become those workers or give up their careers or whatever it is in order to ensure that places like Vietnam and Afghanistan have opportunity to hear about Jesus. It's compelling. So that the world knows. And Jesus prays, prays two things specifically about what the world should know when the world has that opportunity. The first thing that Jesus prays, verse 23, is he says, The the world should know that you sent me. The Father sent the Son. Now, at first glance, that may not seem very controversial. And so why would Jesus put that on the top two list, right? Well, think about it. In his day, that was a radical, radical thought. That the Messiah was going to be the Son of God and die for the sins of people instead of leading a rebellion and restoring a political entity called Israel. Totally radical. Most Germans today see that as a controversial statement because you, the father, there is no you in their minds, the atheist majority, and the me, the Jesus part, uh, maybe he was a historical figure at, mo- at best. They deny that outright. When we were in the Middle East, most of our Muslim friends would have said that God sent a prophet called Jesus, but there's no father-son dynamic and there's certainly no death on a cross. It's a controversial, important thing to be able to share. And if there's anything that I've learned in the last 30 years since being challenged to start sharing my faith more, it's this, that hard truths like the Father sent the Son, those hard truths must be impressed by God himself. He does the hard work of impressing hard truths. Our part is pray, show up, speak, but God must unlock the heart. I remember being in a taxi in our first few years in uh, in our location in the Middle East. And I was prepared for this interaction. And most taxi drivers, you'd get in, and you sit shotgun with them. You don't sit in the back. And so we're getting talking, and and invariably the conversation turns spiritual. It's one of the great things about being in the Middle East. And so we get into the conversation, and, and he says, Well, I could never become a Christian because the Bible's been changed. And I knew this line of thinking and I was prepared with an airtight, apologetic, logical argument of how that can't be the case. And I had, I had practiced it and, and I, I gave it and I was really proud of myself. Yeah, I nailed this one. Get to the end and, and he turns to me and he goes, the Bible's been changed. I can't believe that. I said, well, did, you, you didn't just hear what I, what I said? No, I can't believe that. I can't accept that. Okay. And i felt like such a failure but then it dawned on me god has to change the heart this is not a logic problem we're dealing with we're dealing with a heart problem and i have no power i have no ability to control that but god can unlock and does in fact unlock people's hearts when he demonstrates his power and his glory to them because i've seen that also happen a guy who derailed a bible study we had going on in that same city for an entire year he showed up tuesday nights And I would have a plan and everything, and there were a couple other new believers in that group. And then there was this guy who was not a believer and was kind of angry about the whole thing and just derailed it. But I was thinking, okay, he's here, he's asking good questions, but they're just not on topic at all. And really hard to field these questions. And so I began to wonder if he was actually sent from the enemy to disrupt things in this baby church plant that we're trying to get going on. And then I went on vacation and was asking the Lord what we should do with this particular guy. I come back and and, and I wasn't sure still, but I just knew, okay, kind of steal myself, get ready for the hard interaction. And it was like I met a totally different guy because I did. Same body, transformed soul. While I was gone in those three weeks, he had read the Bible for the fifth time, the New Testament, fifth time. And in that fifth time through, something changed. It went from being a book with great teachings to being a book with power. He encountered Jesus. He said it was, there was something living this time through as I opened up the word of God. That's how God speaks to the heart. He reveals his power. He reveals his glory. He lets the world know. But we need to show up. We need to be there because that's the will of God. The Father sent the Son. And the second thing that Jesus prays is, he says, Lord, the world must also know that you, the Father, you have loved them even as you have loved me. See, love is a different kind of thing. It's not a logical thing. It's not a thing that can be expressed with words quite so easily. But Christ's people, if you are a Christ's follower you maybe are aware of, you have tasted of the kind of love that we receive from the Father, an unconditional love, a love that does not wait for you to transform first and change yourself and make yourself presentable before God will come into your life. It's a different kind of love, and it's it's that way because God is a secure, mature, perfect being. He doesn't need anything back from us, so when he extends love to us, it can be a perfect, higher caliber kind of love, of the highest kind, actually. But our human love, man, it's, it's tainted by selfishness and conditions. And as much as I try to be a good husband or father, so often I revert back to the human tendency of trying to maybe get something back out of the relationships that I have. And even when I'm trying to witness into the world around me, I can even mistake love with simply being kind. And you know, you don't actually need God to be kind. There's lots and lots of kind people who don't even think God exists. Berlin is home to four million of such people. Very, very kind, loving people, but it's a human variety of love. That mistake has actually sidetracked a lot of Christians. And high-profile ones recently, they've mistaken love for simply being nice, being kind. And while that may be part of it, the motivation and the starting point is completely different. When you show love for enemies, self-sacrificing, giving, not expecting anything back, love for people who are different than you, who vote different, who look different, who believe different entirely, love that points them to Jesus and not to you, you get no accolades out of the deal. That kind of love is such a powerful witness in a place like Berlin, Because people there tend to be very self reliant, very suspicious of new things or new people that come into into their life. They don't open their hearts quite so readily. It's very hard to build deep relationships. But that Christ given love is a gift to us from God, not just to be shared or to be used in our own heart, but to be shared with the world around us. And that is a huge tool then for being able to cast the glory of God out. And we are safe with god we just like him we do not need to crave affirmation we can be secure and mature beings and enjoy the perfect caliber love that he gives to us passing it on but the trouble is we don't always know where we stand it's so encouraging to hear the testimony from what happened yesterday because that's when you know okay we're doing something right we are loving with the love of jesus when somebody who doesn't know jesus receives the people of God in a special way. We have a a fellow who meets with me and a couple of my teammates for a weekly Bible study in Berlin. He's a very happy guy, as you can see. Uh, Data protection laws in Germany are very strict, so we just make sure we kind of honor that. So we have this small Bible study. It's actually 2.30 in the morning on Fridays if you happen to be awake at that time and you want to pray for it. 2.30 in the morning uh, over here and uh, two gentlemen who come to this bible study are very confused about all things identity in their life i mean they have rough hard backgrounds but they're studying the bible and we hit up against each other oftentimes because the bible gives an identity that they don't have yet so there's disagreement there and 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 we don't want to shy away from from that but at the same time we also want to make sure that they know they're loved well once a month, our couple of house churches that we're, that were planting in the, in the city get together. We meet in a park. And the last time that my family was there, uh, this was last summer actually, July 3rd, we got together and it was actually a chance to sort of debrief and, and share our experience with the church plants so far. And one of the guys from the Bible study who was there, he said, you know, Caleb and Scott, my teammate and I, they don't agree with me on a lot of stuff and we butt heads, but they love me, and I know that. And this here is my family. This is my community. Oh, tell you what, I'm, pre- I'm really glad for the steps he's taken. But what that did for me and for my teammate, Caleb, that affirmation of, yeah, we're seeing the love of God in a special way, acting out. And this guy will one day trust Christ. We can see it. God is present. He is working. We are present, but God's doing all the hard work. That's where we want to be. It's the will of Christ that we be with him where he is in his presence. And he's active. In Berlin, he's active in the Middle East. He's active in any place you can conceive of. That's where God is. His glory produces unity so that the world can know that. As we end our time here this morning, I just want to challenge you with a few things. So, oh, as, as Dom said before, your church leadership is making some plans to, to increase engagement with, with God's work around the world. But you individually, here's some things I want you to think about. If your heart is being captured by the glory of God, the first thing is this. On a regular basis, annually or every six, month, every six months, ask God if God is tapping you on the shoulder, directing you to be one of those who goes long-term, learns the language, and is present in another location. Not everybody should do that. That is not what this is about. This is about you putting yourself in a position of asking the Lord. Are you willing to do that? Can you ask the Lord this morning, right now, to begin a work in your heart, to take your career, to leave your career, to set your trajectory if you're a student on serving God in another location? Can you ask God if you are one of those that he's tapping on the shoulder? The harvest is great, but the workers are few. The problem is always willingness. So can we be people who are willing to ask the question? As God speaks, and if God says, no, you're not one of those, what does that mean then? Well, if you're obedient, it means staying and making disciples right here. Man, I love what your community is up to. Keep leaning into that. Keep reaching out not about people showing up on a Sunday morning it's about coming together to love Jesus more being made more and more like him so be obedient stay and make disciples right here and whether you are or aren't being sent to another location we are all responsible for unreached people groups that we may never ever meet that we may never visit and how do we do that how do we engage with the global work of Christ we do it by sending and we send through some practical ways the biggest one, indispensable, is prayer. Talk about minimizing things. I cannot, under, I, can, I, I cannot overstate this enough. Prayer is the essential groundwork. No prayer, no missions. It's as simple as that. So we send, first and foremost, by being people of prayer, who wrestle and intercede for the world, places, and people that we know, and other locations. We have to inform ourselves, arm ourselves with prayer, with, with requests, with scripture, but we have to be people of prayer. So that's the first thing. The second thing is out of a heart of prayer and understanding what God wants to do, we give generously because it does take funding and resources. But we're talking about our effort, our attention, things that are most precious to us, also our treasure. And it comes from a place of recognition that God owns 100% of everything in my bank account, in my wallet, and in my day planner. All those resources already belong to God and simply, God, what do you want to do with those things? And let God direct how you are expressing his generosity, investing back in his kingdom. It's from a place of worship and gratitude. So that's the second thing, giving. Praying and giving. And the third thing and probably the hardest one is sending your best, your people. Sons, daughters, friends, leaders. Releasing them, blessing them to go into nations that don't yet know Jesus? Can we be people who are willing, who have a posture of readiness to react? I pray that we do that. And that's not just a lesson for you. That's something I am preaching to myself as well. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. And as they do, I'm going to close in prayer. And when we're done, if there is a... a, a, conversation you need to have with someone. If you need to talk to a leader here, if you want to come meet me, I would love to meet you and interact on any of these things a little bit more. But uh, let's pray. Father God, it's an absolute honor to be in your presence. We don't deserve to behold your glory. We deserve anything but that. But because of your surpassing love and grace, We're invited into your presence to behold the magnificence of who you are. We don't even have words to describe that. And Lord, being in your presence compels us to action. We've mentioned just a few basic ways that we can respond, Father. So I ask you to lead and ask you to put a heart of readiness into everyone here, including myself. Everyone watching online. Wherever they may be, God, would you speak right now? Would you lead and direct each heart to take another step of dedication towards what you are up to because you're everywhere. I commit this to you, thanking you for your precious word and your leadership. In Jesus' name, amen.